Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Welcome back to Behind the Knife, Oral Board Review. My name is Patrick Georgioff, and I have Joe Church joining me again today. Thanks for having me again. All right, so we're going to cover skin and soft tissue, but really we're only going to cover one of the topics here. So the score disease and conditions, the core diseases and conditions in this topic are cellulitis, hydradenitis, melanoma, necrotizing soft tissue infections, non-melanoma skin cancer, paronychia and felon, pyelonidal cysts, and soft tissue uh, masses. I'm sorry, I keep... This paronychia thing's killing me. Uh, those are the core diseases and conditions, whereas uh, core operations and procedures include uh, melanoma, wide local excision, pyelonidal, excuse me, cystectomy, sentinel lymph node biopsies for melanoma, excision of skin and soft tissue lesions, and incision drainage and debridement of soft tissue infections. So, uh, Joe, uh, we're going to start with melanoma. Uh, this will be a pigmented skin lesion of sorts, uh, uh, typically. Uh, what do you want to do on physical exam uh, and or review of systems? So from a physical exam standpoint, we're going to be talking about our, first of all, our complete skin exam. So you want to assess for any other lesions. Uh, you also want to check uh, all the relevant lymph node basins, cervical, supraclavicular, axillary, um, and, uh, and inguinal. Um, and then specifically, you're going to be evaluating the lesion. This is where we come into our, our ABCDE. So looking for asymmetry, border irregularity, uh, changes in color, color variation, a diameter generally greater than 6 millimeters, and evolution, which is what will come into play when you're taking your patient history. Right. And so one of the things probably I'd add in terms of a review of systems, melanoma can really spread anywhere, right? And so... In- Depending on where they're going with the, the question or, or how the patient presents, it might be worth a complete review of systems. Maybe they have some uh, neurologic uh, 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 presentation or symptoms like that. So for working up and staging a melanoma, again, for most of these tumors, we're going to talk about uh, presenting to a multi-disciplinary tumor board. Um, uh, the, oftentimes, as surgeons, we get these patients after they've had a biopsy from the dermatologist. And so that could be uh, an excisional biopsy with one millimeter margins. That's a preferred approach. A punch biopsy, which shows the depth of the lesion, is also uh, 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 reasonable as well. Um, for uh, these patients, if they have palpable lymph nodes, uh, we want to perform an FNA uh, of those nodes, ultrasound guided FNA. Uh, and then we want to stage them T, N, and M staging. So for melanoma, uh, the T stage is determined by the Breslow depth. And the Breslow depth is the actual depth in millimeters of the lesion uh, with or without ulceration. Uh, the N stage is determined by your sentinel lymph node biopsy, uh, which we'll talk about who to get a sentinel lymph node biopsy on in a minute here. Um, and certainly if the patient has palpable nodes, whatever your FNA results show, uh, that'll help stage your, your, uh, your N score. And then your M stage, uh, uh, who do you stage? Uh, who, who do you get uh, advanced scanning on or imaging on? And that's in general patients who have clinically positive lymph nodes or you found to have, be positive on their uh, sentinel lymph node biopsy. And you get a chest, CT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, or a PET scan are both good options. Uh, so, Joe, what if we we're doing a question stem? They, they, uh, the patient presents with melanoma in their axilla or their groin. Uh, so they have palpable nodes. They get a biopsy. It shows melanoma. But you've searched far and wide. There's no skin lesion. What do you do for this occult primary disease? 
So from what I hear, this is uh, sometimes a board favorite. I think maybe the most important thing that you need to mention uh, is that you would do um, an anorectal exam um, complete with digital rectal exam um, because anorectal melanoma is uh, a, maybe not overall a, uh, a common so- uh, primary site, but in the absence of another skin lesion is one of the first places you should look. And then another place would be the uh, the, the uh, eyeballs, which, as a side note, um, uh, melanoma of the eye tends to present with liver metastases, and then also under the fingernails. There are going to be sometimes where they say that you check all these locations and you have no uh, occult primary, in which case uh, you almost have to assume that whatever primary site involuted, which is described, but you would still go ahead and treat the nodal disease just as you would as if you had a primary site. And if you had to choose one type of imaging to find an occult primary, a occult disease, what would you get? In this case, if you can't find any of the primary, then a PET CT is going to be very helpful in that case. Okay. All right, Joe, regarding uh, surgical management, what uh, are our margins for melanoma? So the margins you're going to obtain surgically are based on the Breslow depth. And fortunately, this is one of the areas where it actually makes some sense. So for a Breslow depth, uh, less than one millimeter, you can get away with one centimeter margins. For a Breslow depth of greater than two millimeters, you need two centimeter margins. And then for a Breslow depth of one to two millimeters, you can actually do one to two centimeter margins. And generally you base those margins on the location of the melanoma on the body and how easy it will be to close the defect. So say something on the trunk where you think you could get away with two centimeter margins with a primary closure, you should err on the side of doing two Whereas on the face or extremity, you might err closer to one. All right. To that end, then, uh, how are you going to make your incision? So you mentioned whether it's hard to close or not. Are you going to make a circular incision around the lesion? Yeah. Clearly, you can't get away with that. You're going to have massive dog ears uh, if you're trying trying for just a circle incision. So you need to make an ellipse. Um, You do it along the the skin lines. That will allow for the least tension on your closure. Generally, at least a three-to-one ratio uh, length to width. Some would say even up to four to one. And just to be clear on the margins, you're measuring those from the edges of either the lesion, if you can see it, or of the biopsy if the lesion right. is no longer there. Right. And then how, how deep do you go when you do the surgical excision? So you're going to take your dissection down to the level of the muscle fascia. You're, you don't necessarily need to take the muscle fascia with your specimen, but, that, but you do need to take all the sub tissue. Okay. So for surgical management, we got the Breslow depth, less than one millimeter, one centimeter margins, one to two is one to two centimeter, one to two millimeters is one to two centimeter margins. Greater than two millimeters are two centimeter margins. We're making an ellipse, three to one, and down to the fascia. So sentinel nodes, all right? So we're going to perform a sentinel lymph node biopsy, but on who? So what is the Breslow depth, the magic number that tells us we need to perform a sentinel lymph node biopsy? Generally, we would view 0.8 millimeters as the cutoff. So... A thin melanoma defined as that with a Breslau depth less than 0.8 millimeters, you can get away without performing a sentinel lymph node biopsy. Except in who? So what, what are some histologic features if you have a, a Breslau depth less than 0.8 in which you would still consider or in fact do a sentinel lymph node biopsy? Generally, if you have ulceration present, this upstages you slightly in terms of your T stage and the, therefore um, you would go on to perform a sentinel lymph node biopsy in the presence of ulceration. Also, if you had a high mitotic rate, this might indicate a more aggressive lesion. And okay. so you could go on to perform a sentinel lymph node biopsy. Okay, and to do a sentinel lymph node biopsy, we're going to use lymphocentigraphy. We're going to do pre-op injection of a colloid tracer. tracer. We'll inject it at the lesion. And then the patient goes 
to the radiology, right? And they get a scintography, a scintigraphic, whatever it may be, scan, right, to show us which basins light up and where the uh, 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 sentinel nodes might be. And in the OR, we could use a handheld gamma counter to help identify where those nodes are. And, and you resect those hot nodes, and any node that is uh, uh, with 10% or greater radio tracer activity compared to that hottest node, you take it out, right? Uh, we also can use uh, dye, methylene blue dye is a common uh, uh, use as well. We inject that at the site of the lesion in the operating room and can use that to visualize uh, the sentinel known. The other dye that sometimes uses um, isosulfan blue, uh, methylene blue I think is the standard now, but things that um, uh, may come up um, as kind of spinoffs on the oral boards is that methylene blue, a potential complication, albeit very low risk, is uh, skin necrosis, soft tissue necrosis locally. Whereas the uh, uh, isosulfan blue has a risk of uh, anaphylaxis. And as we learned in the Osler course, anaphylaxis is a core topic for the boards. So beware if you end up using that, that they might take you down the road of giving some Benadryl and epinephrine. Benadryl, epinephrine, protect the airway, etc. Okay. Now, lymph node dissections. So axillary or inguinal lymph node dissections or completion node dissections. So uh, if the... Patient has clinically positive nodes, you get an ultrasound, you get an FNA, and the node's positive, you're going to go ahead and perform a lymph node dissection. Now, what about if the sentinel lymph node is positive? So, I'm not sure, but probably uh, this year or in the near future, we're going to need to be able to discuss the results of the MSLT2 trial, or at least um, uh, how that might play in here. And the MSLT2 MSLT2 trial compared completion lymph node dissection with close monitoring, essentially, for, for patients with positive sentinel nodes. And the close monitoring was Q4-month clinical exams and ultrasound for two years, and then Q6-month clinical exam and ultrasounds for three to five years. All right. And they showed that uh, completion lymph node dissection resulted in no difference in melanoma-specific survival, but improvement in disease-free survival and not surprisingly, higher rates of lymphedema. So if you can articulate these results uh, and the need for close monitoring with the ultrasound and physical, uh, and physical exams, uh, you can offer um, these two options, lymph node dissection or the close monitoring, to the patient. Uh, but I think you'd have to understand those, those results to offer that up. In regards to uh, medical treatment then, and so if a patient has positive lymph nodes or they have any metastatic disease, uh, the first line is biologics, right, Joe? So what, what are two broad classes of biologic agents we might use to treat uh, patients with, again, metastatic disease or positive lymph nodes? So probably the most broadly used uh, adjuvant therapy that I know of would be the, the, the PD-1 inhibitors, the checkpoint inhibitors, namely uh, ipilimumab. I think if on the boards you said PD-1 inhibitor or even the letter PD-1, uh, they, they'd probably give you credit for that. This is um, kind of really expanded medical management, much beyond interferon, et cetera, that weren't as successful in the past. Uh, the second class uh, of um, uh, adjuvant therapies uh, are the BRAF inhibitors, an example of which is uh, vemurafenib, which is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, these BRAF inhibitors, if you have a, um, a BRAF uh, expressing lesion, can um, take effect quite quickly, but they also may not have a prolonged effect. I'd say where this might come in, uh, into play on the boards, if, say, you had 
bulky lymphadenopathy or, or bulky disease in, say, the inguinal node basin involving the femoral nerve, and you thought that you were going to have to sacrifice key features. If it's BRAF positive and you treat with an inhibitor, you could shrink this down to the point of having a better functional result. Okay. All right, so both uh, inguinal uh, lymph node dissection and axillary lymph node dissections are core surgical procedures according to the uh, core SCORE curriculum. So I'm going to go ahead and cover axillary lymph node dissection. Joe, you want to take inguinal? Absolutely. All right, so axillary lymph node dissection. The patient's going to be supine with their arm out. We're going to perform a lazy S incision, a couple finger breasts beneath the axillary fold, uh, extending from the pec to the lat. Um, if there is a prior incision from a sentinel lymph node biopsy, you want to include that in this incision. We'll raise skin flaps on both sides. Uh, and the borders of our uh, dissection include the lateral edge of the pec major, uh, the medial aspect of the lat latissimus dorsi, and the axillary vein. We're going to identify and take care to preserve the thoracodorsal bundle. So the thoracodorsal vein, it comes off of uh, the axillary vein posteriorly uh, and fairly lateral. And the nerve itself comes off a bit more medial, travels a few centimeters before joining up with the vein and artery, and you can follow this into the uh, latissimus muscle. Uh, we'll also take care to identify the long thoracic nerve, preserve this as well. Uh, this travels in the same uh, anterior-posterior uh, plane as the thoracodorsal bundle, and it's uh, usually a few millimeters off of the chest wall. This interfaces the serratus anterior. Uh, in addition to uh, the lymph nodes in this basin, we want to collect uh, nodes from levels 1, 2, and 3. Uh, uh, that's different than breast cancer. Breast cancer is just zone 1 and 2. So zone 1 lymph nodes are lateral to the pectoralis uh, minor muscle, level 2 beneath the pectoralis minor, and level 3 are um, medial to the pectoralis minor muscle. Uh, you can also lift the arm up uh, uh, from the its place on the arm board, uh, medialize it, and that can help get you some access and some space uh, into that area to free up those nodes. Uh, typically place a drain afterwards, and uh, you can mark your specimen. So how about inguinal lymph node dissection? Well, as far as the inguinal lymph node dissection is concerned, uh, this can first of all be broken down into the superficial uh, inguinal lymph node dissection and deep inguinal lymph node dissection. I'd say the standard of care on uh, the board answer for uh, metastolic melanoma uh, with positive sentinel node biopsy would be a superficial dissection, but we can talk about the deep as well and when you would do that. For a superficial inguinal lymph node dissection, you're going to have the patient in supine position with, with a mild frog leg. Again, you're going to perform a lazy S incision starting a little more laterally, almost at the lower edge of the abdomen coming um, across uh, the level of the inguinal ligament. Uh, and then down the uh, intermedial thigh. You're gonna develop skin flaps uh, on both sides. And then for your superficial dissection, you're basically taking all the nodal tissue from the femoral triangle, and that's defined by the inguinal ligament superiorly, the sartorius muscle laterally, and then the adductor longus medially. Through that tissue tends to run the saphenous vein. If you can, it, it is can be appropriate to preserve this, but if it is involved with clinically positive nodes, you can sacrifice this and basically ligate it distally and also at the saphenofemoral junction. You're then going to take that nodal packet uh, away, from those, away from those muscles and then off the uh, underlying femoral vessels. You also generally should take the uh, superficial nodal tissue uh, overlying the inguinal ligament and a little bit over the uh, external oblique uh, fascia. And that would constitute your superficial inguinal lymph node dissection. Before closing, you would generally leave 
uh, at least one drain, maybe two, which would be one under uh, each skin flap. Now, if you're gonna proceed with a deep inguinal lymph node dissection, usually that's in the setting of previously identified positive nodes uh, in the uh, iliac uh, pelvic or obturator basins, and that would usually be identified on some sort of cross-sectional imaging or PET. There are two ways to approach these. You can either approach these uh, from the same incision, but by dividing the inguinal ligament, thereby opening the femoral ring and basically continuing your dissection almost contiguously uh, up into the pelvis following the femoral vessels as they become the iliacs. Um, if you do this, you would have to reapproximate your inguinal ligament at the end, which should be done with permanent sutures. The alternative is to perform a second incision, uh, section, uh, a, essentially a lower quadrant abdominal incision, kind of a hockey stick similar to that you might do in a kidney transplant. Take that dissection and through the muscle layers into the preperitoneal space and then bluntly dissect this away to again access your external uh, iliac vessels. The last thing that should be mentioned is that in the process it's pretty common, uh, it's sometimes necessary, oftentimes necessary, to uh, expose uh, the femoral artery and nerve. You don't want to leave these vessels exposed and blowing in the wind. So the solution to that is a sartorius flap in which case you dissect the sartorius circumferentially for enough length as to be able to move it over. You would then divide the sartorius uh, proximally and then approximate this to the inguinal ligament such that they overlie the femoral vessels and uh, perform this approximation again with permanent suture. Okay, great. Uh, let's do a couple really quick hits on a few other topics. Um, Merkel cell uh, tumors. So these are neuroendocrine tumors. Uh, 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 histology, small blue cells. You want to do a wider section with two centimeter margins. Interesting thing about Merkel cell cancer is if you happen to get this, you follow it up with radiation at the site of resection, and you're going to perform sentinel lymph node biopsy uh, uh, as well. Uh, if you have a sarcoma, uh, you want a core needle biopsy to diagnose. One question that might come up is lipoma versus liposarcoma. You can check the MDM2 um, uh, histology uh, to determine if this is in fact a liposarcoma. So that'd be a positive. MDM2 would be positive in a liposarcoma. Uh, if the tumor is big and gnarly uh, uh, and close to or invading key structures, you might consider pre-op radiation and or chemotherapy. Uh, and two other common uh, general surgery type issues that come up uh, in this section of, of the score soft skin and soft tissue section include pyelonidal cysts. Uh, so uh, typically these patients present with drainage, uh, some pain, they have sinuses and the natal cleft. Um, and uh, this is certainly diagnosed on physical exam. If it's acute, Joe, what would you do? So if someone comes in with a, a, an abscess in this area. In an infected pyelonidal cyst, you would manage like any other abscess with an incision and drainage, you're not going to do any definitive procedure in that setting because whatever you do will break down. And so, okay, you drain it, they come back uh, two or three months later, they have a, a, a tract there, a draining sinus tract and persistent pyelonidal disease. Uh, well, at that point, uh, how can you resect it? There's a couple different ways to do it, uh, but how do you go about treating them? There's a few different options. Uh, perhaps the safest answer for the boards is the one with the lowest recurrence rate, which would be a wide excision uh, of the pyelonidal uh, cyst and sinus all the way down to the sacral fascia and just leaving the wound open to uh, heal and by secondary intention. 
There are more complex options to perform such a resection, but mobilize a flap and close things off the midline. The key there would be that you don't do it in the midline. You need to remove any hair in any of these processes. And then there's something called the Gips procedure, which is essentially using uh, punch biopsy to sort of core things out from the inside. But I think that'd be beyond the, the scope yeah. of the boards. Yeah. I think I agree with you. The safest is wider section of all involved tissue down to the fashion and pack it. And if they ask about risk reduction in the interim, hair removal is sort of the mainstay. Great. And then last thing, uh, just to mention really quick because it's on the list, uh, are, um, is hydratinitis. And so hydratinitis... If there's an abscess that needs to be drained, you can drain that acutely. In the end, it's a, a wide-level excision of that involved area, and then and, uh, long-term wound healing, typically wet-to-dry packing uh, as well. So, yeah, Other key points for hydratinitis, just to make yourself sound like an expert, if you need to use antibiotics, doxycycline is a good choice. Not only does it usually cover MRSA, it also may have effects beyond its antibiosis that actually help the underlying disease process. Uh, and it wouldn't be appropriate to say that you would refer these patients to dermatology, uh, perhaps for, for other medical management prior to performing a wide excision. But wide excision is the gold standard surgical therapy. Great. All right, that completes skin and soft tissue. Thanks for joining us. Dominate the day. Until next time, dominate the day. Dominate the day.